Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World, the practical voice podcast. This episode of VUX World is brought to you by Speebly. What now? Speebly, you can interact through Speebly, you can interact with a website with your voice it's absolutely fantastic. It's a little widget, a little bit of code. You put it on a website and then you point Dialogflow to it and you can interact with whatever you've got in Dialogflow, which means that you can use an existing voice experience that you've created to interact with it from the front end of a website. Plus, you can even make some tweaks to that or you can create something from scratch and you'll be able to navigate through your website using your voice as well. So you can put little tags in there that if someone says, you know, show me XYZ product, it can take you to that product page on the website. It's absolutely unbelievable. Speebly have got a, a deal now with uh, for VUI designers and for creatives and developers in the voice space. You're all working with clients. You're all building voice experiences anyway. If you use Speebly to make your client's voice experience accessible on your client's website, so if your clients sign up to Speebly, then Speebly will give you a percentage of the revenue every month, which means that your client wins because they get to have voice enabled on their website, increase the engagement of their website, extend their Google action into their website. The user wins because they get to interact with a website with their voice and be taken through the website and navigate through the website with their voice as well, if you set it up like that. And you win because you get paid for the privilege. <laughs> Everybody wins. Check it out. Speebly.com slash V-U-X. S-P-E-E-B-L-Y dot com slash V-U-X. On today's episode of VUX World, we are speaking to Jonathan Myers and Dave Grossman of Earplay. Earplay are literally at the top of their game. They're at the top of the industry as far as production value is concerned, as far as interactive storytelling is concerned, as far as interactive audio, full stop. Earplay are up there with the best in the world. And we're picking their brains today all about how they do what they do, how they create experiences that are so engaging, how they create some that has such high production value you know you look at the likes of jurassic world mr robot you've got the jack ryan uh, skill some of this stuff is absolutely it's like warner brothers universal kind of like movie quality stuff let me get into detail about how they do it all also they've got a platform which you can design and build and publish voice experiences in now it's not widely publicized and they're only in a really really closed beta with a select few people at the moment but the way john describes it is that it is the google docs of voice development and voice publishing so we talk a little bit about the tools that they're using as well also they've been working on with with been working with Bose and I don't even know how to describe this but they've been working with Bose on interactive augmented reality audio <laughs> get your head around that well you don't have to because we explain all about it and we talk about it in the episode as well we are also joined for the first time ever in life for this gaming special episode of VOX World by Florian Holland. Florian has been on the podcast before he is at Jovo right now helping build out that framework and manage the projects that they have going on over at Jovo and he's here he's madly passionate about voice gaming he's a voice game developer himself so he's coming to, to guide the discussion and, and co-host with myself and Dustin uh, to help steer the the conversation around the game inside of things so this one is absolutely phenomenal you are going to absolutely love it ladies and gentlemen this is jonathan myers and dave grossman of earplay on vux world vux world vux world vux world vux world, VUX world. VUX world. VUX world. VUX world. 
the big faces. I love listening to it. Kane Sims. Kane Sims. Kane Sims, the one and only. Britain's finest, Mr. Kane Sims. Dustin. Dustin. Dustin Coates. I like it when you guys are together and talking about boys. Without further ado, welcome to the show. Dustin, we have quite an episode today, do we not? We do. It's, uh, we have enough people for a basketball team right now. I don't know how good of a team we would be, but we've got five today. So it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of different perspectives today. Well, I'm five foot seven, so I won't be much use <laughs> on the basketball court. But we're also, uh, we also have a, another guest co-host with us for the first time, Dustin Ever. Yeah, yeah. Florian, welcome. Yeehaw, thank you very much. This is super crazy and I'm so excited, I can't tell you. It's like my first basketball match. <laughs> so Florian is at Jovo, he's been on the podcast before. He is a avid, madly passionate voice game developer. And Florian's here essentially to, to handle the gaming questions because today's guests are absolutely phenomenal in the voice space. I mentioned in the intro who they are, Dave Grossman and Jonathan Myers from Earplay. I'll, I'll do the intros one at a time so that we're not talking over each other, but Jonathan, welcome to VUX World. Thank you. It's great to be here. And Dave, welcome. Uh, thanks a lot. So... How do we want to do this? Do you want to, should we start with you, Jonathan, and you can tell us a little bit about yourself and introduce Earplay, and then we'll hear a little bit about Dave as well? Yeah, sure, I can do that. Um, so um, I started out in sort of an odd place to get into games and then voice. I, I was uh, into theater. I did playwriting and acting. Um, that sort of led to a notion of like, well, how am I going to make a living and still be creative too? And it, games writing is, is what it came down to. So I worked for like Zynga and Disruptor Beam, you know, the Facebook boom, that sort of a thing. Uh, but then when, I, when it came time to form a company or do something unique that was uh, my own, um, I had the idea of doing an interactive radio drama. Uh, and, and that was sort of how Earplay was born. Um, Earplay, uh, you know, is a company that, you know, enables you to play stories with your voice. Uh, and like I said, that started with Codename Cygnus back in 2013. We did a Kickstarter. Um, and that became the world's first interactive radio drama where you play a role as a spy and can maneuver your way through the story. Um, yeah, and, and, and shortly after we got rolling, Dave became a co-founder. Um, uh, and Dave has quite a pedigree in games, as you'll hear. Extensive pedigree, I'm told. Dave, tell us a little bit about, about your background and, and about your experience and how you kind of found yourself in, in the voice world. Well, I am a, uh, a longtime uh, purveyor of uh, interactive story material of various types. I've been writing and, and uh, designing and, and directing story games for uh, going on 30 years now. Um, I, I did a, a number of graphic adventures at, at LucasArts when that was a thing that people did at, at, at LucasArts uh, back in the 90s. Uh, Secret of Monkey Island and, and Day of the Tentacle are, are, are on my resume. Uh, I have I have made a, a fair number of children's games. If you're young, you may have uh, grown up on Pajama Sam or, or something like that written by me. Um, I spent uh, almost a decade uh, directing design and writing at uh, Telltale Games. May it, may it rest in peace. Uh, and then for the last five years, I've, I've been hooked up with John doing these crazy uh, uh, audio, audio pieces at Earplay. 
Cool. And, and we'll get into some of the stuff that you've been working on. And I mentioned again in the intro, your likes of Jurassic World and recently working with Boars. There's the uh, Jack Ryan experience. There's a whole host of stuff there. Florian, you're madly into voice games. Let's kick off by if you had one question, one burning question, if you had like the opportunity just to ask one priority question to Dave and Jonathan, what would it be? Oh, um, you see, I'm really torn on this one because um, there's, um, on the one hand, um, I'm super interested in the um, super high-end quality professional um, and uh, um, interactive stories uh, under the kind of um, that um, you, you have been producing, especially in uh, um, collaboration with like uh, Mr. Robot, Jurassic World, Jack Ryan, with um, already existing franchises. Um, on the other hand, I'm thinking about um, how um, what um, other voice developers out there um, that don't have like a big studio behind them, what they could learn um, from you um, and um, be kind of um, their um, those people's voice here. Um, so uh, I think um, this would be my my question. Um, since um, you have already been trying to establish your own franchise with Codename Cycles. Um, what what were your learnings um, from that, and, and um, how do you go? Does that work in the Alexa world, like um, creating your own brand and your own franchise? Um, what uh, what have you? What are your learnings in this regard? Um, I can I can kind of start that off, and then I'll sort of pass it on to Dave. I think that you know it it started out as as just trying to trying to do something new and different. And we spent a lot of time prototyping and then developing our own backend system. And, and along the way, we, we, you know, like you were saying, we, we found sort of best practices along the way. And to us, it was always about interactive audio. It was never necessarily, it wasn't initially about voice, like the way that the voice industry has emerged because this was before Alexa. Right. And to us, uh, Alexa became a channel outside of, you know, starting on iOS, it became a channel where we could take the kind of things that we were doing and port it over and put it there. Uh, and it became, to me, like the perfect place where people could play the kind of things that we were experiencing. We saw that people liked what we were doing, but it was very niche up up until then. And so when we started working, you know, on Alexa, and we put the earplay uh, skill there and put and we ported Codename Cygnus over, we already had a notion of a, a sort of a development pipeline, an idea of what it meant to sort of A, design, and then B, you know, script out, and then C, record that stuff, and then do the audio, and then upload it. Um, so when we came to Alexa, we had to kind of face some initial limitations in terms of, you know, file quality size, number of files in between prompts, uh, and, and just sort of the way that the view I worked was not the way that ours did. I mean, our, our speech recognition at the time was really crappy at the beginning. It's, it's gotten a lot better over on the iOS side of things, but, but obviously, uh, you know, that was the key to Alexis. They made, um, you know, talking with a computer very smooth and work and it made it work very, very well. Uh, and so it just opened up things to us. Um, and then again, you know, we, uh, my part in this was a little bit more product driven. Dave came on board and started working on the heavy duty stuff that you're talking about. And so I think Dave can, can speak a little bit more to how we worked. We began to work with IPs about when you need to figure out like, what did they want? What did they want to do? And how could we make something come alive? Yeah, and, and, and it sounded like um, sort of the, the crux of that question was about what what can you do if you're if if you are small scale and you're trying to trying to do your own thing and and the biggest expense that we have on any of these things gets down to doing all of that audio recording and and building the sound files and stuff for it. So if you're 
you know, if you're just somebody in your garage, you can, you can get pretty far um, just by yourself as long as you sort of manage the scope a little bit and, and don't go too crazy with actors. I, I think um, one of my favorite pieces of ours is something called half a glass, which was, it was just done as a test for our system. And John said, Oh, you gotta, you know, make something that, that um, tries to break all the tools and, me being me, I, I couldn't just go off and write something that said, you know, now now say this to test this feature. I actually wrote a little story, and it was about um, a sort of a recurring uh, dream that you're having and, and the, the sort of eternal question of is the glass half empty, empty or, or half full? And and it, it repeats, and you sort of go through it a number of times and solve a couple of puzzles and finish it. So, you know, you might interact with that thing for, for 20 minutes or so. Um, but it was pretty easy to, to put together and there's just a couple of actors in it. Um, and it could have been done even without any, any actors at all. And then you can, you can just, uh, you know, you can just get something like that together and, and put it out. Oh, that's a great hint. Um, so even um, if you're in your garage and you have nothing but um, your laptop microphone, it, this would already be better than um, having TTS um, voices and um, to, to get something semi-engaging starting. Yeah, I will. I will. I will add that uh, I did a, a scratch version of the audio for that, where it was just me sitting at my desk doing all the voices for it, and it was already pretty fun. I, I would have shown that to people. Um, yeah, so I, I wanted to also add too that that I think that you know the question you asked is that better than speech to text or I'm sorry, text to speech. I think it depends. I think for entertainment, especially, yes. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, developing games and developing entertainment, people want to you know enter a world. They want to be taken away and they want to have fun. And I think that that people relate to human voices. It's much more emotional when it's a human voice, um, and, and it helps to paint that picture, uh, you know, in your head, which is I think what is very central to the to this form of entertainment as well. And so I think, yeah, that that's that is key. Even you know, even if your capacity for making audio, you know, isn't you know, like you don't have like a, a primo studio, you know, you can you know the tools are out there to kind of make your own audio without it sounding bad, and I and I encourage folks that to to do that because I think it just you know ups the ups the quality bar a lot. So, do you see yourselves as audio producers then, or as game designers? That is really interesting. Well, I th I think uh, you know I think Dave. Well, I'll I'll speak for myself. I consider myself more of a, a, a designer, but now more than anything, a business person, product person. But uh, yeah, I never really saw myself as a, an audio producer, but I had to learn it. And we've worked with some of, you know, some top, per, uh, you know, audio folks. We, we do a lot of our, uh, you know, projects by contracting out to the experts. Like I wouldn't consider myself the person that sits down and does all the mastering. Um, you know, that's that I, I can do it because I've had to learn it along the way. But um, I think there is a, a certain even higher, higher level where, you, you know, if you work with professionals that you can get that really super nice uh, quality leveling, mastering, that sort of thing. Uh, Dave, how do, do, you, do you consider yourself a producer? No, uh, I'm a terrible producer of, of any type, and and in no way am I an audio producer. I, I see myself as a as a writer and designer. These are these are my skills. That's where where my my focus lies. And uh, when it comes to doing actual audio production, like audio is a medium that I'm that I'm working in, uh, and I will rely on actual professionals to handle uh, all, all the all the nuts and bolts there. And and I think you know, there's more to it than just sort of. So when you say we're going to produce something that's interactive audio, there's a lot of little facets to it. You know, Dave, again, design, writing, 
uh, coaching of the, the, you know, the aesthetics of the project and, and what the sort of the artistic goals are. Uh, a lot of times what I, the role I've taken when we've done our own studio production is that I, you know, I kind of sort of, I don't know, uh, a project direct a little bit where, you know, I, I do a lot of the voice direction, which I enjoy from my time during theater. I understand how that works, how to direct an actor. Um, sometimes we'll even go get, you know, other directors, like when we're doing SAG, um, you know, SAG, productions we'll work with a signatory and you know a high quality uh, production house in LA to make sure that that goes right um, but at the same time you know it's it, there you know when you're exporting the script you have to prepare it and you have to coach those actors to do it in a particular way and then those actors have to be really solid and then you have to take those files and get those cut up and then audio people kind of take over from there and those audio people will then add sound effects uh, and you may maybe you have to find somebody to do composition or an underscore things like that so there's a, a ton of little facets and you know we've mastered i think the art of the interactive audio production pipeline uh, but i think that's also because you know it's it's fairly new and and there's there are not a lot of um, production houses out there that have taken this on. There are tons of audio production houses that I think could be really great at this. And, you know, and, and I think this is, you know, the, the industry is going to need that more. Um, we've already started to kind of work with very particular partners on, on those sorts of things. Um, but, uh, you know, for example, Xandra, I think has emerged as, you know, a fellow um, studio. And, and in fact, we, you know, we've started to do less a studio production result and focus more on the, the actual um, pipeline and production of our own tools. And so, you know, there's a lot of folks out there that are starting to emerge that are just like incredibly, uh, you know, incredible at, at doing conversational design and especially like entertainment and games. It's, it seems to me like um, you're also experimenting a lot um, with the formats um, of your interactive stories, right? Um, no, I'm going to have been thinking about it. Um, for example, um, the Mr. Robot skill is a more of a, a skill that's very linear and has some, some kind of um, folk cho choices that, that um, quickly loop back um, into, into the main plot. Whereas Jurassic World is more branched out. Um, and um, Jack Ryan is, um, again, a different um, kind of um, skill with, with um, puzzles. Uh, but then Christmas Party is something where you can die and have to um, figure out how to get to the end of it. Um, is there... Um, uh, do you have a kind of a kind of a um, sort of conscious decision, uh, conscious decision of how much um, exploration versus exploitation um, you do? It seems like um, you're doing a lot of exploration and doing different kind of um, projects. Well, uh, we are. I mean, the it's sort of the wild west uh, still in the in the world of, of voice gaming, and um, there are a, a lot of factors that you can monkey around with that depend on what the project is and and what the goals are uh, for it. Um, you mentioned doing doing sort of open ended uh, stuff um, and exploration, and uh, the uh, Jack Ryan skill that we did last year was kind of an outlier. Uh, for us in that um, it's it's much more open-ended in terms of what the what the users can do at any at any given time than our usual uh, our usual pieces and there was a, a very specific reason for that uh, which is that it was supposed to feel like uh, an escape room and and in an ex in an escape room you do do a lot of exploration you sort of wander around the room and you find things and you put together uh, clues kind of on your own recognizance so it's very unguided uh, sort of experience. Um, usually, we are we are working in a much more guided space, uh, and the reason for that is is so that we can ask narrower questions 
uh, of, of the audience. And when it's their, their turn to make a decision that um, that decision can be in a space that it is it, it, that of a size that it is possible for the skill um, to deal with. Uh, and there's a, a thing that happens um, just with this kind of open-ended input in general where if you if you ask an open-ended question like uh you know what do you want to do next the number of things that a person can say in response to that is nearly infinite but of course the number of things that your skill will be able to uh to respond to is extremely finite uh and and so that results in a lot of frustration with the, the space in between those things so usually we try and narrow it down and jack ryan was kind of a big ex uh, uh, experiment in how to handle it if we don't do that mm, i, I- that was I'm I'm glad we kind of got the chance to explain that because I think that I think that's where this conversation started out on on Twitter is when I'd I think I'd tried to play with that Jack Ryan skill and I was initially caught off guard because there was there's only a certain number of commands that you can use isn't there and you kind of you kind of advised to to note them down beforehand so that you can use them properly within the gaming experience. Can you kind of just expand a little bit more on your kind of thinking behind that? Because I, I must admit, I, I was kind of caught off guard a little bit with that, but then we kind of had a bit of, a bit of a discussion and, and you were kind of saying that it's kind of common practice for, for other games and, and you were trying to create a gamer's game or a game for gamers. Can you kind of just expand a little bit about that kind of um, that aim? Yeah, uh, yeah. Actually, what I what I remember from Twitter was was one of you guys tweeting uh, uh, something along those lines of, uh, oh, "Oh my goodness, look at this list of you know." There's like nine or ten uh, different commands. Uh, that seems like a lot, and and it wants me to write them all down. And in in fact, we we did recommend that people um, keep a pen and paper handy, but it wasn't for writing those commands down. It was actually just for keeping notes on all the sort of codes and puzzles that you were going to uncover while you were. While you were in the game, because you uh, you often you only you only get ten seconds to to answer on Alexa, so you want to kind of have your have your responses ready. Um, in in fact, um, it's it, it's hard to remember nine things to do, but uh, we picked these specifically as a sort of parallel to the kinds of commands that you would find in uh, say a graphic adventure of the of the point and click variety. So it's all the the kind of basic stuff that you would want to do. Uh, look at something, use a, a tool, um, open and close things, uh, turn things on and off. And some of them come in pairs like that so that they're easier to remember. And once we, once we got this in front of people, we discovered that getting them to remember those commands was not the problem at all. It was convincing them not to try other stuff. Uh, and, and, and this was, this gets back to this thing of the English language is too descriptive and you can try too many things in it. And we had, done a tutorial at the beginning that was designed to sort of try and get you to uh, this idea of the kinds of things that were going to work in the game. And we just hadn't been heavy handed enough about it. So we had to go back and kind of redo that and really hit you over the head with like, these are, these are the 10 things that are going to get you through this game and you can try other stuff, but it isn't going to get you anywhere and it'll just be frustrating. Uh, so you know, just note about tutorial design. You be be heavy-handed about that, people. You have to uh, essentially design the, the the space of success for people and and make it a little bit clear to them at the outset to avoid uh, frustration. 
Yeah, and this is, I think, a principle that we try to hit most of the time, and 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 we've been pretty, I think, successful about that. Which is, and it's it's it has a lot to do with wired a lot of the skills that we've we've made are popular, and 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 people talk about them. Um, you there there's this notion of the game design of the of the possibility space, and the possibility space is is you know the the sort of the area. Uh, uh, through which a per- which a person can interact or do things in order to have success or failure, and for voice UI games, a lot of that has to do with people's conception of what they can say, what they can't say, um, and and I think that you know in game design, just like with VUI design, if that possibility space is too wide open, right, people are going to have trouble dis- understanding, and they're going to have to like do a, a lot of just guessing. Uh, at what they can or can't say. Uh, and I think a lot of skills can have that problem. I think there's also, the, you can also bring it down and make it very, very specific. And sometimes that works really, really well, where it's like, hey, you've got three things you can do. And at this prompt, I'm going to say, the, I'm going to make sure you understand those options. You can do A, B, or C. And I think that can be really, really good design. Um, but sometimes you, you know, like like Dave was saying, we want to design something that's a little more open-ended and a little bit more complex so that people can explore. So I think keeping in mind that possibility space, always knowing, you know, that something is out of bounds and something is in bounds, uh, that is, uh, you know, one of the, the the skills to sort of master as a VUI, UX sort of designer. You mentioned earlier that you found that you weren't heavy-handed enough with the opening tutorial. How do you go about discovering if things are or are not working in your games? Uh, well, we we test them, and we we test them on uh, real people. We, we we test them ourselves to begin with, but uh, because we're sort of already biased and have too much knowledge about how the thing is supposed to work, sometimes this stuff won't won't come out until we actually uh, you know go out with a uh, an external. Uh, testing provider and get, you know, maybe, maybe 10 or 20 people who have never heard of this thing before to try it and see what they do. And if they're, you know, having, having success, then, then great. But if they're trying all kinds of crazy things, they're trying to tie their clothes and make ropes out of them and, and um, uh, jump up in the air and Jimmy doors and things that we haven't provided for, then we know we've got a little more work to do to, to define that, that space of possibility for them. Yeah, and actually, Jack Ryan's interesting in that sense because, like Dave said, it was very different, uh, except for maybe um, like half, and except for holiday party, uh, it's it's unusual in the sense that most of our skills are a fluid, forward-moving story, and everything is always about sort of the story, the dramatic interest, and what's going to happen next, and that's what kind of keeps people's attention and makes long-form, you know, interactive. Uh, 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 audio work, I think. And with Jack Ryan, it was, it was an attempt to sort of, uh, you know, make it for, as you mentioned before earlier, uh, was before we wanted to make it for the gamers. And so, and, and that's a lot of our, our testing group. And so, uh, you know, most folks, they'll dig the story and all that. And we were trying new mechanics. So when we went to test um, during the process, we were testing with gamers who are familiar with what what in the, you know, the old school days was called the scum system, right? And it's like nine verbs, and you you are have an array of objects around you, and you can apply those verbs to the objects to solve the puzzles. And so a lot of our our uh, testers were just like, "Holy crap, this is awesome! I totally get this." You know, they got their pen and paper, and they're solving the problems, and they're plowing through. And then we get to like what would be a really casual person who was is really isn't interested in games, but they like Jack Ryan, or they want to go check out this little spy thing, and and they're just confused. Uh, and I think that 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 was that was kind of a, a lesson to us in terms of making sure that when we and we, uh, you know, test that we're also getting a variety of folks that may not be interested. Now, I don't know if that would mean that we would have catered 
to the person who's not interested in games. Because again, the assignment and what we were attempting to do was very specific. It's, you know, this was going to be a very difficult game that was supposed to be repeatable and and people you know who do play it you know sometimes have trouble getting to a certain point there they'll ask us questions dave has actually been role-playing with a lot of them dave you should tell them about this you guys are going to get out of this so we are a a small studio and that means that uh john and i wind up answering a lot of the of the support emails and and quite a few have come in for for hints with uh with with jack ryan uh the game has some built-in hints but it's, it's not always quite enough uh and and so we'll, we'll get interesting questions from them and, and some of them are, are sort of repeat customers on on that uh on that front and uh and there's one in particular where i started calling them by the 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 code name uh november that, that the player gets in the uh in in in, in the skill and i was gonna be like okay you know now try this and good luck november and and we sort of got into this back and forth i've probably exchanged at least a dozen emails with this person and even after they finished the skill they've kept writing back and and wanting to know you know how are the other agents how are they doing after our, our little adventure together um you know i miss them i want to want to go on another another thing with them so it's it's really uh you know it's been cool to to see that uh happening yeah and and i think you know that that's uh, that hits upon the thing that we're trying to do, which is, you know, interactive audio storytelling is a, it's, it, it enables you to go into that space and like be a character and imagine yourself as that character and across all the stuff, you know, no matter how complex and branching or how like puzzly versus just super simple story with the choices and outcomes based on that. It's like the idea is to always hit that mark. And we've had some other, uh, you know, titles where that's happened where people have responded and they say they want more they kind of like say oh when's my next mission when's the next assignment when are we going to easily new blar again or something like that uh and i think that when we see that that's sort of an indicator that we've done something right Mm, absolutely and and one of the trickiest things you know you hear that quite a lot of voice skills and apps and actions don't tend to get past the first couple of turns and and they don't tend to have that much repeat usage either sounds as though you're kind of booking the trend quite considerably here and you've got a community of people who are really engaging with everything that you're creating and you mentioned there around um you know not just the production value but the story keeping people engaged is that the primary thing that keeps people engaged and keeps people interacting and, and hanging around in the skill and engaging with it for longer? Or is there anything else in particular that you use to try and increase engagement? Well, I think, um, y- yes, the story is kind of the main thing. That is that is our bread and butter. But, uh, I mean, there are aspects of story that uh, that you can use to, to sort of keep people around. I think um, reading, reading the Harry Potter novels is a great... Uh, a, a sort of study tool for that in, in terms of just how to create a page turner. Rowling is always uh, sort of raising questions and then answering them, but before she answers them, she'll raise a new one so that there's always something in your mind of like, oh, I really want to know about this. And that uh, totally applies to really any any kind of, of, uh, of entertainment experience. You want to sort of uh, build up and resolve tension and make sure that there's always uh, some, some bit of uh, something that uh, the, the audience is anticipating uh, before you uh, are ready to end the experience. Yeah, to piggyback on that, I think just story is very human and very central to our lives. And, you know, really good storytelling, even within 30 seconds, will get somebody interested in wanting more. And I think, so the number one, we we're really, we scrutinize that we make sure that we uh, want people in, you know, that people want to be involved. I think 
you know, because it's an interactive medium though, as well, if, if you spend too much time in between choices, it, you can see some drop off from that. So because it, 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 that's what people like if otherwise, you know, they're going to listen to an audiobook, listen to a podcast, which there are great versions of those that keep people engaged for hours as well. But I think that if you're, they're coming to this and they're wanting to interact, then we, you know, we, we try to examine and say, well, Hey, maybe this is a little bit too long in between choices. Um, or maybe we're not getting to the point quick enough to, to where they have an action because I think they come to this to act, to do. And so, you know, that, that's a big thing. And also I don't want to discount audio too, because I think that's the real emotional power. Uh, you know, voice is like one of the most human form. Well, it is the most human form of communication, right? It is the center of that. And then, and then audio though, music, um, sound effects, hearing other voices as well is, is very emotionally powerful. And I think um, that right there is, is something that needs to be seized upon. So when you're, um, you know, you're designing and, you know, uh, setting up these moments in between the choices, if you're using atmosphere, if you're using, you know, uh, voices that have like different ranges and pitches and not just like flat voices, uh, you know, those things can make a huge difference as well on capturing the person's attention and wanting the, to, uh, to do more. I think there's, for example, have you, have you heard about this trend of ASMR? This idea that, that people just love to hear other voices, uh, should look at uh, like up. It's 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 the soothing and comfortingness of a voice, and it creates sort of a hum or a buzz inside somebody else when they listen. It's 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 a popular trend on YouTube, and I think that kind of captures some of what we're getting at with like interactive audio being very very potent and powerful. It's just uh, that that too can be a factor to people wanting more. I guess. I mean, um, this is um, syncs with another. Um thing that I've um, noticed in uh, um, many of your skills, maybe all of them, um, I think you also never use kind of an abstract narrator, uh, but, it's all, but it's always um, the characters themselves that, that um, speak to the user, right? It's like that with Jurassic World, where the, um, the moderator of the podcast um, talks to you as your co-host, or Jack Ryan, where the operator talks to you. Also, a way to, for, to, to uh, make it, um, to get people into the action faster and deeper, right? Uh, well, actually, um, I mean, we have, we have experimented with narrators before. In fact, our, our, our earplay demo, the official demo of our, of our whole uh, thing uses a narrator, um, but it also uses actors for, for some of the parts. And, and when you use a narrator, you get into this kind of uh, second person um, feel that, that it's sort of like a choose your own adventure novel where it says, you know, you are doing this and you are doing that. It, it sort of addresses you directly all the time. Um, but it does seem like, when we go first person and just have all of the characters in the story addressing you directly all the time, that makes for a, a little bit more of a, an immersive experience. It keeps you inside the fantasy a little better, a little more. And that's why we prefer to do things that way uh, most of the time. Uh, I'd like to piggyback on that too. I think part of the reason why it feels a little more immersive when there's not a narrator is if there's a narrator it's kind of like they're in your head and they're dictating your thoughts to you a little bit. It's hard to get away from that. And when that happens, like if it's a male voice or a male sounding voice, then, you know, how does that affect someone that, you know, identifies differently. Right. And I think that, that when you're allowed to fill your own thoughts up in your head completely, it, it can just help you go there a little bit more. Not to say that it's like that using an area is worse as much as it just becomes something that you have to think about. Uh, and it becomes a notion of, well, is the narrator the player or is it, are they a conscience 
in their head. You know, it's just uh, you have to think about that and you have to solve that problem and make it a part of the whole experience. Now, of course, that that said, the narrator uh, makes certain things easier um, when you are doing something that, that is first person. You have all the characters in the room. One thing that is really awkward to do is to have uh, the player character represented in that group of actors, because now two people will be speaking for that character, both the, the player and the actor. And that's just really, really dissonant. So so we, <laughs> we never do that. Uh, and it can be kind of awkward to to write around that where like, oh, you never, there's this one character you never hear and they only speak intermittently and, and that's you and that's your character uh, can kind of stilt the experience. And when you are using a narrator, you can kind of smooth over these moments a little bit uh, by sort of describing for a little while the things that you're doing and then jumping back into a more first person uh, 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 style where you're interacting with the audience. So it really kind of depends on what you're, what you're trying to achieve and how you want to achieve it. That's some very valuable insight. Thank you. Um, I think that this also goes into my another question that I had. But until about a week ago or so, if someone had asked me which role multimodality plays for your play, I would have guessed that your answer would be not so high um, because um, so far the skills I've seen don't use screens very much. Right? Um, I mean, in Jurassic World, each chapter has one background screen, and um, in Jack Ryan, you see um, the commands uh, written down that you can use, which is super helpful. I think I posted that on Twitter. Um, but um, right now, since, since the week, we know that um, you, you take a multimodality to, to, to a complete new level. Uh, can, you, can you elaborate on that a bit? Yeah, definitely. So, um, I mean, we're voice first. We're definitely voice first. And um, even at our earliest stages before Alex came along, we had experimented a little bit with multimodality in the sense that, you know, we, we were on iOS and we would pop your answers up so you could also tap them as well as hear them. Very similar to how chips work on uh, Google Assistant, where, you know, you can tap something rather than speak it. And and we found that that worked, but people really, they just like putting it in their pocket, let the, the, you know, the iPhone in the pocket and just play through the buds. And, uh, you know, we even considered thinking about popping up maps. And I think the biggest mistake we made in those early days is when we ported to Android, we developed a script feature where we printed out on the screen the dialogue as it was occurring. Uh, and, 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 and the thing was, what we heard actually is, is that people disliked, like it was almost like a stark contrast. People on iOS were like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing. So cool. It takes me there. I can imagine it. People on Android were like, I don't know. I don't get this. I don't like it. And what was happening was that they were so drawn to being on the phone and looking that when they had something to look at, they just did it. There was no question about it. They just, oh, there's, there's scrolling text. I'm going to look at it. So they were reading just as much as they were listening and they weren't going there. They just, it was interrupting their ability to be like in that place, in that theater of the mind place. And so we, we, we took that very seriously when we learned that. And so when Alexa started developing multimodal, which I think is an amazing thing, like the show is great and there are tons of great purposes for it. I think we just need to be very careful about how we use that in order not to distract from people to pull them out. And so for, you know, each time we look at it, like how are we going to do this? You know, Mr. Robot was the first one and we found a really interesting way because it starts out looking like uh, a, a, what do you call it? A flash briefing. So it looks like a flash briefing. We get in like a little flash briefing image. Nope. And then, and then, you know, 
uh, F society pops up and we see that thing, but that's, that's about it. I mean, we, we kind of left it at that. Uh, and then we moved on and did Jurassic world. And I think again, the moment where we're showing something is in between chapters. It's like, okay, we, we needed that. We needed to let people know, Hey, here's a 15 minute segment. Here's a 15, 20 minute segment here. And they need to know, okay, now's time to take a break if you like, or something like that. We didn't just want it going fluid all the way. So we have the narrator or what we, what we call the meta narrator pop up and say chapter two. And that's the point at which we also pop up the image. Now, Jack Ryan became very different because suddenly, you know, along the lines of what we were discussing earlier, there were ways to make use of that, that could be helpful. So if someone asks for help, and because they've, you know, maybe they're like, oh, wait, what, what command can I use? If you ask for help, you actually can see all those words. So that becomes really, really helpful in a way. It's like prevents people from going away. Uh, and, and in Jack Ryan, we also did also the typical sort of slides of chapter this, chapter that. But uh, it became sort of an aid or a, a helpful, you know, a little more of a hint system, uh, system. But again, it's not something that is required. And that's the critical thing is that someone should just be able to close their eyes and enjoy something we're doing uh, without seeing. So. It's also worth noting that uh, the, the reading something and listening to voice are using the same part of your brain. So those are those are kind of interfering with each other, which is why uh, when we when we do do visuals that that reference list of commands aside, there's generally all, little or no text on them. They would treat them more as as illustrations uh, than anything else. Dave, Jonathan, what are some of the tools that you're using? I th- it sounds like you are building some tooling in-house as well. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. So, uh, and this kind of, uh, you know, is relevant to something that, that Florian had mentioned about those AR, which is something that just happened this past weekend. We've, for the past about year, have been w- working on opening up our tools. We had created all this stuff, again, back starting back in 2013, an online system and a ru- an engine that runs uh, voice user experiences. And that evolved into being a cross system where we, we deployed to Google system, we deployed to Alexa, we still deployed to iOS. And, uh, but it was only something that we did for ourselves because we were setting out and saying, hey, we, you know, we kind of have kicked this new medium off. Where does it go? And we were producing everything ourselves. Our, uh, ourselves. But we got kind of burnt out in 2018. We were doing a lot. We produced over 80, <laughs> or not, we didn't necessarily produce, but our, our, our system published over 80 hours of interactive audio content. And the latter half of that, or the, you know, the sort of the end of 2018 was our first chance to say, we're going to let somebody else have our tools and see what they can do. And it was, it was uh, Capstone Publishing. Uh, they, you know, were, were wanting to get a lot of content out onto free time. They had done one skill and so they understood how it worked. And there was a really nice overlap between the way that their you choose series books in print work and how we had uh, done our you and the beanstalk, which also was a part of the free time launch back last year. And so we got together and they said, well, we want to do 50 titles. And that's like 50 hours. Right. And, and we're like, whoa, well, I mean, you know, we're not going to be able to produce it that fast. We're not publishers in that sense um but they are and they know audio production very very well and they know uh, a publishing pipeline and so we opened up our tools and said well what do you think of this not even knowing if it was going to work or not and they're like this is perfect <laughs> and and sure enough we got rolling we made that content in three and a half months and it was out uh by the end of 2018 and so that really opened our eyes and in the meanwhile i think i'd mentioned before zandra uh they uh, were looking for a really really good tool to use and we got to talk and we showed them what we had and they thought wow that's really cool and so now uh, you know they're we're using our tools as well and and the most recent uh 
uh, example of that is the, the the division network skill that just came out, which uh, which uh, Xandra uh, was the the conversational studio on, and it was built entirely with our platform. Uh, and we're going to see more and more of that. We're starting to bring on creators who are, I think, you know, at the top of their game, uh, view UI and UX designers, conversational designers who want access. We're not doing it. You, you might even want to call it a private beta uh, because we don't have a ton of documentation. It wasn't our original intent to, you know, to just open up this way this quick. But um, what we're finding is that what we have can make this kind of content, you know, our kind of content, interactive audio stories specifically, very, very fast and very efficiently. And it gives those those designers the tools to do that. And and sort of like things I'd said before, like the notion of a publishing pipeline and the audio and the recording and the uploading and all that is just sort of built into it because that's how we did it. Um, and, and what we found is as we shifted, more and more opportunities have come up. Uh, specifically about six months ago, we started talking with Bose who uh, had was developing what is known as audio AR. And that means entirely non-visual AR. It's definitely a different modality because it's not, through a home smart speaker, and it's not through necessarily your mobile device. It is uh, through wearables. And um, if you can imagine, you can take these frames, like what they call the Bose frames. They're like glasses, sunglasses, and you pop them on, and it sounds like the world's filling up with sound. You know, most most types of audio are, are centered around okay, we're going to put a headset around you, and there's noise cancellation, and you can't hear anything else. You're just being completely uh, uh, surrounded by audio. The frames and the notion of audio AR is that there's a world around you and you can still kind of hear it and understand that it's there, but we're filling up that space with audio. And, and it's become a great uh, platform to work with. We partner with them and, and, you know, just this weekend at South by Southwest, we launched, uh, uh, you know, our first story from that platform. It's called Head Games. And the way this works is that, you know, th their AR is, is centered around mapping the world with sound, meaning that they have a map sort of API and they can place audio in locations. And there's a magnometer. Uh, these these frames are Bluetoothed into your phone and they can know where you are and where you're looking and that sort of thing. And there's some really neat, you know, activity based, like physical activity based, uh, you know, apps that are being built. Some other really interesting, you know, audio story type things that are being built. But what we're focused on is the idea that an earplay is a story you can play with your voice. Well, now it's a story you can play with your voice and your head movement. So in addition to saying yes or saying no, you can nod your head yes or shake your head no. And, and it, it can only go from there. So we're now starting to take the notion of what is nonverbal communication and make that a part of the input that can move the story forward. So with head games, it's actually I'll let Dave, Dave can talk about head games because he wrote it. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it actually goes even a little further than than you described because we're we're having you uh, uh, sort of duck and and turn around. There's there's uh, there's a little bit more body movement in it than than you would initially imagine uh, from some, from from just the description. And it's just uh, you know it's just a kind of a fun uh, extension to the experience. We can sort of get you more physically into the story, uh, and that's great. And and what's even more interesting too is you know we're talking about how we're a, a tools platform now basically we're a publishing system for creating and distributing interactive audio stories well uh, you know with bose it's the same way we have integrated in a way that if others want to publish our kind of interactive stories through the earplay app or out onto ios uh, with voice and gesture that's possible and so we're actually very interested in hearing from developers that or or at least you know vui designers that are wanting to work with a new platform and get down to a new channel uh because you know, if you adopt our tools, you can then uh, put it out there. 
Now, with these tools and with opening this up to other developers, does this mean AirPlay is making the move to being a platform? Absolutely. Yeah, that's, um, I would say more specifically, you know, a publishing platform in the sense that we, you know, we want to support people uh, and we want, you know, others to be able to make things. But at the same time, we're, we, we intend to be a bit curative at first or, or to, uh, to cautiously step into this because one of the things about, you know, one of the primary focuses of our brand has been the interactive audio medium and the high quality and the storytelling. And that's a, that's a distinctive, there's a very specific focus and we don't want to let go of that. Right. And so that's why we're, when we start partnering with folks that has to be the focus as well. It's why, you know, Xandra, uh, you know, became someone that, that we're working with. Why, why Capstone was like the first uh, example. And we have a few more that will be announced in the near future. And it also has to do with the brands. Like we're going to work with brands that are, you know, story focused, character focused uh, um, properties that, that want, to be a part of this sort of inner circle of people that are, that are, um, that are moving the medium forward. So we're not forgetting our mission in that sense, right. That we're here to nurture this new medium of interactive audio, but at the same time, you know, yes, we are becoming a platform so that, so that other people can have a login, go in, make it from end to end distribute to the different platform, to the different cross services that are out there. So could, is this, Top secret sauce, or is this something that you can share a little bit more about? Because because I'd, I'd heard, I think it might have been on the Inside Voice podcast that I think you did, Jonathan, with um, James Poulter over at the Voice uh, Alexa conference, I think it might have been. And also, I think I heard it on one of uh, the VoiceBot podcast episodes where uh, Zach from Zandra, uh, who we're hopefully going to have on this podcast as well, actually, in the next few weeks, was talking about it was the tooling that interested him, uh, one of the things that interested him, as well as the synergy between the two companies in terms of the skill sets that you have. Can you share a little bit more about specifically what these tools are you've mentioned being able to to control and and manage the whole kind of pipeline but if if i was to sit down in front of it and to start using it to create a voice experience what are some of the things that it will enable me to do or is that part of the secret sauce it, it is a little bit a part of the secret sauce i'll go i'll go a little further and and i you know sorry to be all top secrety, but, uh, you know, we are, uh, we've been doing this for about six years and we have, we do have some, like what you would call trade secrets that we, we kind of only want to share with an inner circle at this stage. But I think the bottom line is that, um, you know, it is, uh, a, you know, a real time sort of web tool, um, along the lines of you've kind of seen things similar to this here and there out there that have been, you know, in development for like a year or two, that sort of thing, you know, you, many people played with pull string and got to see that, but I think the best way to describe it, and this is going to, I think, hopefully send a sort of shockwave around the world. Like we're making the Google docs of voice, uh, is the best way to put it. Um, you will be able to sit in a web browser and see somebody else making changes to something that can go live in just a click. Uh, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty heavy duty. Uh, again, I can't go into the specifics of how that works, but that I hope that paints a picture uh, of, of just sort of the level of the backend um, work that's been done. My, my CTO Bruno uh, was a part of a company called Ware Incorporated. He was the branch manager in Croatia that built a lot of the backend technology. It was acquired by eBay PayPal uh, and then, became pay, the, the Boston branch so that became PayPal Boston. And that's how I got to know him. I'm based in Boston. And he as a CTO uh, and a lot of uh, engineers that we've been working with for six years have developed over time, you know, a really amazing tool set 
uh, not necessarily just tool set, but also, uh, you know, publishing system. Uh, and, and so it's, it's all fully integrated, even though it's modular and it can move and be deployed to different, um, you know, services. It's, it is to me like a, a you know, just like a, the Maserati, so to speak of, of, uh, you know, of, of voice tools. And I think that what helps too, is that when Dave came along and we started you know, making these tools better and thinking about what is our future with these. It's even though it's like high, te- high end technology, we're a creator. We've been a very creator focused company. So the, the creative aspect is sort of baked into how it all works. Like, you know, with me as sort of a product manager at the center and Dave is sort of the creative, uh, you know, officer, the person who wants to work with the creative people and needs that to move swiftly and easily. Uh, you know, we've, you know, had this sort of nice yin yang between Bruno building the technology and David, Dave, um, you know, uh, setting out the standards for what it needs to, you know, what it needs to be like when the creator is working on it. And it, I mean, it, the thing that you often hear as a pitch is like, oh, it's, it's code, you know, you don't need to do any code. Well, that's true. And it's the same way with ours, but I think that it needs to be simple for the person who doesn't know the complexities but it also needs to be able to be very complex and so that people can use very deep logic and variables and things that, you know, your average person, you know, coming into using it for the first time may not even understand or get, uh, you know, we, you can make a Jack Ryan kind of thing <laughs> with it, or you can make a simple quiz with it. Uh, and so about as far as can go, we'll be hearing from lots of creative people and devs because we, we are always looking to like, to understand like what kind of projects people want to make. And we are learning from those people as we bring them in. We're just being a little slow about it because, you know, I, uh, we want to do it right. Well, thank you for explaining that. That is really, really helpful. Before we wrap up, I just want to straighten a few things out with this Bose thing. I've understood this right. I just don't want to leave it without having it straight, straight in my head. So the Bose wearables glasses and you put them on and then there's ambient sounds that doesn't completely cancel out the background noise but but they they exist the interactive stories and things are are having people do different actions and you can sense those actions through the wearables but then you also mentioned that Bose have a mapping api that can place audio in various places is that like <clears throat> what like you'll make an the audio sound as though it's coming from inside a house if you're stood outside and stuff like that is it placing it in in that respect um, I think, you know, and, and you can go to the, the Bose website and, and there's like a Bose AR link that you can check out and we can maybe put it in, into your, uh, your, your podcast URL or something like that. But um, yeah, it, it's it it can kind of do just about anything you want it to. It's, it's kind of open for the designers now. Uh, I think what I mean by maps is if you're standing at a specific location on the world and you're using their creator tool, you can go and put a sound right on that spot so you can hear it as you're close to that spot. And if you walk away... It gets quieter, ah, right? So really, right. truly mapping the world with sounds. Uh, it's fascinating stuff. And and again, you know, we're not uh, we're we're more into interactive audio storytelling, you know, in in a more imaginary sense, right? And so for us, it's it's not necessarily about uh, geolocation, although we we may we may play around and do some interesting stuff with that. For us, it's a little more isolated and fictional. They can happen any spot. Uh, so I'll give a little bit of a spoiler. The beginning, it's a sci-fi thriller, and the the concept is that the moment that this experience starts, you've got these glasses on, you hear somebody speaking to you through mental telepathy. <laughs> and the person says, don't talk. They can hear you. Nod your head if you can hear me. 
and and from and, and you nod your head and and it moves forward and some from and it goes from there and so rather than you know no matter where you are whether you're inside or outside the idea is that there's this sound that's somehow a part of the world around you and we create some sounds of like little buzzy bee drones at one point and it sounds like they're hovering around over your shoulder and it creates this sort of like tingling you know like hair standing on edge feeling because it sounds like there's bees buzzing around you <laughs> but they're mechanical you know uh and again sorry i don't want to spoil it. there's actually a full 10 to 15 minute version you can download the airplay app it's out right now but yeah do you do have to have the the bose frames in order to get that experience but um i hope that helps it, it, it it's it's difficult to explain because it is entirely non-visual and an experiential moment like it reminds me of the days when i was first doing this before you know, before Alexa, we would say, hey, want to try an interactive radio drama? And people would be like, what? <laughs> and I would have the hardest time describing what is, I mean, the term interactive audio itself didn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense outside of like, oh, is this something that happens inside a console game or a computer game? Uh, and so when I would say, hey, here's interactive audio and have like headset and a, a mobile device, people were like, what are you what is this? Right. And, and I feel, and then once Alexa came along, it was suddenly like, Oh, this is what interactive audio is. This is what it means to interact with audio. And, and I feel like it's, it's something similar with this. It's so like forward thinking and, and so like such a wow moment when you first experience it, that, uh, it's very difficult to describe. And I think we're all trying to understand what is the best and fastest way to get the point across. But, um, but yeah, they're, they're, Bose is really committed to, to, you know, I think they've committed to shipping at least 1 million units in 2019. Um, and, and they're, they're, I, I very confident they're going to do it. Oh, fascinating. Um, really. Um, I'm, I'm still, um, kind of, um, captivated by both the, um, both, um, AR and, and um, what you can do to it. It sounds like a great solution, uh, but I'm wondering what, what the problem is um, that it solves. It sounds like it's, um, the, um, about, the. Uh, public, that there's an issue with, with Alexa or Google Assistant that um, if you have to use your voice, it's not like very much suited to use it, using it in public. Um, but um, most AR seems to be kind of a solution to that, right? So you, can, you consume interactive stories uh, while um, being on the road or in train um, because you don't only use um, gestures. Um, is this also where you see the, the big opportunity here? Um, well, I think there's two sides. There's the voice industry and then there's sort of what is this now new emerging audio AR industry and I, uh, that I think Bose is, is creating in the same way that, that Alexa, you know, just, just powered forward and created uh, voice. And I think, you know, th at this stage, they're, they are very distinct, um, meaning that, that, that Bose, uh, the, with Bose devices, you can use Alexa and you can use Google, but that is separate from the audio AR. So right now, uh, I think, I believe we're one of maybe a couple experiences that are actually using voice, but that's because we have it in our app. Um, the gestural communication and the movement of the, of, of the, uh, the devices is, is part of the AR platform. So they have sensors in, in those devices and those sensors have a magnometer. They have a, um, a rotate they, you know, they can, they can sense rotation. They can sense acceleration. There's an accelerometer. So it can know things about you. You can also, you know, through the magnometer understand like location. Uh, and, and it's about taking that data and using their SDK or unity SDK to, to make an app more enhanced by the use of audio AR. And so um, voice isn't a natural part of that yet, uh, except with earplay at this stage. Um, I think that we'll see more of that happen though. I think that the voice industry is very interested and I think that voice naturally fits with audio AR and that's what we're going to see. Um, more to the question of like, how does this work on a sort of a daily basis? It, it is through 
um, iPhone right now, and then it'll soon be Android. And so you're Bluetoothing these devices. And so you're definitely mobile. And, but, and it works out well for us because we were iOS first, to be honest, before uh, Alexa came along. So we already had, you know, some client side work that we'd done with native iOS publishing or uh, native iOS app development. And, um, we, what we did is we, we have a screen, um, that has control. So you can, you can say stop when you're in the middle of the experience at a prompt to, for it to stop and go back to the library screen, or you can just tap it. <laughs> there's, there's the ability to tap stop and leave this experience. And when prompts pop up, there's also a visual element that just says, you know, the, the different options and the different universal intents that you can, uh, you can perform in order to do that. So if you're moving through the world and you're out in public and you don't want to speak or you don't want to gesture, there is the option you could just tap and listen. I think the ideal is that you're physically involved. Um, but here, here's an example that I think I've been, I was using a little bit all, all weekend while I was there at South by Southwest to kind of describe think of how this could be really helpful in a very practical sense. Imagine that you put on these glasses and you walk into a museum and by virtue of using that, you know, an application that's on iOS that is connected to these glasses, when you walk over and you turn right and you go stand by painting, you look at it, what you hear is, oh, you're looking at the such and such Van Gogh. You're looking at Starry Night. Would you like to hear more? Right. And you can nod or maybe, or if you're using our stuff, you could say yes. Uh, and that enables you to have an interaction that is kind of location aware and gesture aware. And the moment you turn away and walk elsewhere, it would know that. And it would know to maybe stop talking about the painting that you're no longer looking at. Uh, and imagine exploring a, a museum where that's possible everywhere. That that's kind of, that is sort of the augmented audio reality, uh, uh, audio augmented reality, uh, you know, practically. If, if you are looking for people who are in the creative space working on voice applications, and if any of those people who may well be amongst our listeners, if they, if you, if you want to kind of, you know, figure out whether there's any partnerships that can be made or any anything that can happen there, what's what's the best way for someone to go about that? Absolutely. So our website is a little outdated, and eventually it'll have more information on this. Right now, it's we seem very much like a studio still on the site, but you can email talent at earplay.com. T A L E N T at earplay earplay.com cool and you're obviously you're, you're both active on on twitter and things like that where where can people find you on on twitter and online yeah so uh so uh, twitter it's like at earplay um and you know facebook it's it's it pretty much earplay is the handle on all across all the systems dave what's dave you want to tell people your handle I, my handle on twitter is is phrenopolis which is p-h-r-e-n-o P-O-L-I-S. Cool. Fantastic. John, Dave, Florian, Dustin, it's been absolutely unbelievable. <laughs> thanks <laughs> so much. That's been absolutely intense. Yeah, thanks cool. so much, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks for my side as well. It's been a delight and pleasure. Absolutely. That was John Myers, Dave Grossman, and our special guest co-host, Florian Holland. Thank you, chaps, for joining us. <laughs> I'm just trying to put my brain back together. I think my brain was just blown apart in the last 15 minutes there. I think I should probably take those 15 minutes and put them towards the beginning because that was absolutely mental. Augmented reality audio. Interactive augmented reality audio. That I can't get my head around it. It's absolutely unbelievable. Based, Location-based, gesture-based. 
it, it sounds absolutely mental. I would strongly advise for you to go and check out this Bose case study with EarPlay because it is, yeah, I have no words. And then also to hear about their platform, the Google Docs of voice development, the Google Docs of publishing for voice. It sounds absolutely unbelievable. If you are interested in taking a look at it, and it sounds as though uh, John is, you know, pre-qualifying the high-end <laughs> experiential designers for to look at this kind of closed door, closed beta uh, platform. If you think you've got the chops, reach out to them, get in touch because it sounds like it could change the way certainly interactive stories and the more creative side of voice is created um but also he was also mentioning that actually it's not just for the creative and interactive story stuff you can build anything on there so it could well be filling a gap that has been left by Pullstring after the acquisition of apple and who knows taking it even further thank you so much for joining us guys we obviously got into some immense detail on on story design and interactive story design and engagement and and production value and the little the kind of the uh, little nuances of creating this stuff as well as the, the audio production pipeline immense immense knowledge we were saying at the end there that we've left bags on the table and we should probably do another one and follow up on all this stuff because yeah it was just absolutely immense thank you dave thank you jonathan Thank you, Florian, and thank you, Dustin. And as always, boys and girls, thank you for listening. Until next time, see you later.